You're listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. I love to run, period. You can always run faster. Forever, you're going to feel something. You're going to run into roadblocks, but that's also going to teach you how to handle things in life. I don't think we want to be like rocks where we're not affected by anything. It's not maybe a physical thing, but it's a mental thing. There's like two voices in me, alpha and beta. Really trying to do is just keep moving forward. Every single runner knows what that means. My life has a purpose, and maybe it's not what I thought it was going to be, but. There were times when I didn't think I would be able to come back. There's a lot of people that had different gifts, and they don't use it. I think if we all use our gifts, we could do something really special, not for ourselves, but for our family. If we're really good, we could do something for our community. Wherever we live. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's your host, Mario Fraioli, and we are back with the fourth and final installment for 2023 of my quarterly conversation with Simon Freeman, who is the publisher and editor of Like the Wind magazine. And here to help set this one up for me, as usual, it's my right-hand man, Chris Douglas. Chris, welcome back to the show for, I don't know, the umpteenth time this year. Yeah, it's been like a thing all year. So happy happy to be back. Always, always fun to share the mics with you. Um, yeah, this conversation was great. This one felt... We were talking about it before we started recording. <laughs> this was like Simon getting, um, like he was on the like the running therapist couch a little bit. He's you know he's dealing with some injuries, and you guys talked about a couple things which I thought was really interesting. Just sort of the idea of the seasonality of running, mm-hmm. which us being in California, it's pretty easy to kind of just be like go all around. But but the idea of seasonality and running, I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, one. <laughs> I didn't think of it as a running therapy session until you, <laughs> until you brought that up. I was just talking to Simon, who has been dealing with some issues, and it led into this larger philosophical conversation about um, the seasonality of running, which I very much enjoyed. You are also very right in that for us here in California, because we have relatively stable weather throughout the year, it can be hard to think of running as a seasonal thing. There are always races happening. And if you really zoom out, no matter where you live, you could find a marathon, a trail race, an ultra, whatever it happens to be, any time of the year, really. And I think that is hasn't always been the case, but it's definitely the case now is just interest in running and doing these events has grown. And as a coach of individual athletes i mean getting to know them some of it's getting to know like where they where they live and what they want to get out of this pursuit because it can really be easy to just be caught in this endless cycle of training and racing and not give yourself a break which is super important and simon and i got into this a little bit but i just say look to nature um there's a reason that you know we have seasons in nature and you know there's very specific things that happen in the winter time versus the spring versus the summer versus the fall and you know not that running is is quite that quarterly but i do think we have to think of the seasonality of running and when we're focused on something and when we're resting and recovering when we're building um and all of those types of things yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think related to that was, you know, Simon mentioned that he was dealing with an ankle injury and his uh, physio told him to take a couple of weeks off. And then that went into a larger conversation where we took a really long time off mm-hmm. and how hard it was to sort of pick that back up after some time off. And 
you know, folks who listen to this will hear that that conversation. But I had a question for you about that sure. because it seems to me like, and you mentioned this, this is a name drop for the Sonia Looney podcast you're recently on where you're talking about sort of decoupling your running goals from events necessarily and finding like a more sort of intrinsic, healthier balance as to why you're running. And I'm curious if, um, you know, when you're when you're trying to pick it back up, you know, what, what would be your advice kind of using that lens, whether it's to put some sort of outcome goal on the calendar or just doing it for the love, so to speak? Yeah, it's a tricky balance to try and strike. There are people whose personalities are wired as such that they need that outcome goal to orient them. They need this North Star to aim toward. And even if they're starting from scratch, they at least know where it is that they're going and generally what the path there is going to look like. Mm -hmm. I have known other people who will put that, let's just call it a race, on the calendar, North Star that they're going to try and achieve, and it feels very daunting, and especially if they're starting from scratch because of injury, because of illness, took time off for some other reason, it almost becomes too overwhelming for them. And as the weeks go by, they'll often feel like they're behind schedule, and then they are dealing with all this anxiety, then they're trying to rush things. Sometimes that can lead to injury. And that's not a great cycle to be in too. So as a coach, I mean, I try to understand the athlete and what's going to help get them back on, on track. But in general, I don't start with this big outcome goal. I look to a much narrower field of vision and I'll put something on the calendar for them two weeks down the road, not a race, but just like, all right, this is a a milestone that we're going to try and hit. Maybe that's run three days a week, you know, over the next like two weeks, we're just going to try to get up to the point where we're running three days a week consistently. And that is a little win, but it can feel like a big win in the moment because you were doing nothing right before that. And then maybe it's something like, Hey, we're going to aim to do drills and strides once or twice a week. And we'll put that on the counter and just check the box. So it's being very process oriented in that way. And Going back to the conversation I had with Stu McMillan for the coach-to-coach process, it's really about putting a system in place for yourself. But I want to build that system very methodically and one piece at a time. So I try not to do too much because I feel like for a lot of people, when they're just restarting again, that is often overwhelming and it ends up just getting the best of them after a very short period of time and then they're back in the same place. So it's just looking for those those little wins and trying to do those mm-hmm. as consistently as possible and then looking for something else that's you know relatively small but achievable that we can do and just putting those pieces together and gaining momentum in that way. And then once we've done that for maybe it's four weeks, maybe it's six weeks, maybe it's eight to ten weeks, depends on the person, then we can start thinking about outcomes because then we've put a good system in mm-hmm. place. And then we're much more process focused rather than just outcome oriented. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, one, one of the last things that, that you guys talked about was, was this concept of, of the flywheel. And again, I'm not going to, we're not, we don't need to have the repeat that whole conversation, but I thought, I thought the distinction between sort of the physical flywheel of just like training versus sort of your mental, your relationship to it. I thought that was a really interesting thing. And it, and it seems to me that those two flywheels are operating for the most part independent of each other. Uh, they, they can be. This was Simon's idea, and I love that he introduced it to me. But in general, and my response to him was, it's a lot easier to you know, stay in shape, stay engaged, than it is to get in shape and to get engaged. So it's really just trying to get that flywheel going. But you can't just 
you know, floor it right from the beginning and try and get that flywheel going, it's going to, it's going to blow it out. Right. So it's like, you just gradually methodically have to, you know, build up, you know, the, the speed and, you know, the ability to, you know, maintain that. And I think whether you're doing that from the mental side of things or it's the actual act of physically training, that's a good way to, to go about it. Just like, you know, just, just start very gradually and just sort of like build momentum over a period of time. Because then once you get that flywheel going and that momentum has been building for a while, it's a lot easier to maintain that once you've got, again, back to processes and systems in place than it is if you're at a dead stop and then just trying to go from like zero to 60 pretty quickly. For sure. For sure. Well, that's probably enough foreshadowing, I think, for uh one conversation <laughs> yeah i mean as always i love these conversations with simon i never know what we're going to talk about until we get on the mic so i hope everyone listening enjoys it as well yeah but before we get to that let's shout out our sponsors yeah our longtime partners at tracksmith bring this episode to you i love everything about tracksmith i'm not going to go through that again i do it every <laughs> intro i mean to me they're the best running brand on the planet they really celebrate the history and culture of the sport better than any other brand but they also make high quality apparel and as of this conversation we are heading into winter in most places in the world i shouldn't say most places many places sure. of the world certainly in this hemisphere and as we were joking before we got on the mic it is bright and base layer season <laughs> Um, I have two versions of, of this top. I have a short sleeve version, which I will probably be, you know, wearing a little more sparingly through the winter, but then the long sleeve version as well. Both are a merino wool blend. Um, as a base layer, this is the piece that is going to fit closest to your skin. It's going to help keep you insulated, regulate temperature, and you could wear it on its own if it's not that cold out but as a base layer it really is that first layering piece and then you can put a mid-weight layer over it if necessary um common one for me is a half zip if there's no precipitation that just you know keeps me a little bit warmer but also if i pull that zip down i have some good ventilation or um when it's raining when it's snowing you put a jacket over it and you know in in most conditions unless it's like crazy crazy cold that's going to keep you pretty darn warm oh yeah i mean this is a great piece you know just for regulating temperature and i find that it works well whether it's like kind of cold or it's very cold yeah for sure for sure i actually have a uh, you know a time of recording i have a two-hour run tomorrow and it's non-negotiable and i was trying to find my brighton base layer and i couldn't find it and i was having like a mini panic attack but <laughs> Lo and behold, it's it's been found. Oh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm ready for tomorrow. Well, I'm it's supposed I'm, to rain the whole time. Yeah, oh. I am. I am glad that you are not going in ill-equipped. <laughs> exactly. If you're interested in the Brighton base layer or any other piece from Tracksmith, go to tracksmith.com/mario. And when you check out, if you use the code Mario New, that is for new customers, you'll save fifteen dollars off your first purchase of seventy-five bucks or more. And if you use the code Mario Give, that's M-A-R-I-O give you will get free shipping on your order and five percent of your purchase will go to support the friendly house in worcester massachusetts i pretty much grew up there they do a lot for youth in particular in the inner city of worcester mass where i grew up and i'm really really proud that a proceed of purchases will go to support that great organization well, beyond Tracksmith, we've got a number of other great partners who help keep the morning shakeout sustainable. So quick shout out to New Balance. I mean, they're the shoes that, I mean, I've been, I've been wearing them my whole life, but we've had a partnership with them for the last almost five years now. Um, 
our go-to is the 1080. It's unofficially, officially the shoe of the Morning Shakeout <laughs> podcast. So check that out. The V13 is out. It's an awesome update. It's got a very soft midsole underfoot, super durable. I call it the workhorse. I mean, you're going to run most of your miles in that shoe. But you can also go to themorningshakeout.com slash partners, learn a little bit more about New Balance and our other annual partner, Precision Fuel and Hydration. I am not training for anything long right now, but I have been using the Precision gels and chews before some of my harder workouts just to get some quick, easily digestible carbohydrates in before a hard effort. And I find that it helps me not only to perform better in those workouts and, and races too, but also because I am feeding working muscles, I come out of them better and it just helps kickstart that recovery process. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and there's some great discount codes for um, first-time buyers of Precision Fuel and Hydration products at themorningshakeout.com slash partners. That does it for the introductions. I hope everyone enjoys my conversation with Simon Freeman. Back doing my favorite thing in the world, chatting to Mario about running. I've had a hell of a day, so I'm super happy to be a chatting to you. And um, as we were just saying before you hit record, we uh, this is this is a conversation about running being a constant in our lives, but not mm. consistent. About how one minute we're doing one thing, or doing more, or doing less, or different things, and maybe nothing at all. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm just just on our preamble. I'm really interested in finding out a bit more because um, I am sat here with a badly sprained ankle, which means that I'm being forced to do nothing, which is driving me berserk. I've got a marathon supposedly coming up at the end of the year, and the, the weeks are ticking past. I think I've got nine weeks. You have nine weeks, and I, and I basically haven't done a long run, which is worrying, um, and that's enforced. But then I was also thinking about how, you know, running is sometimes we turn it off or turn it down or change right. it. Um, what's your kind of, what's your thinking about that as, as a sort of a macro level kind of career long thing, how running changes throughout our lives? Oh, I could talk to you about anything, but this is a very philosophical discussion. So it's, it's right up my alley. I mean, for me, I think there's a real seasonality to running. And some of that is obvious. So if we think about four seasons of the year, spring, summer, fall, and winter, and how that relates to running, we have the spring marathon season. We have the fall marathon season. We oftentimes have the summer track and road racing season. The ultra season goes year round, depending where you are um, in in the world. And I think many of us as, as runners think of it in that way. If we Go back to the last conversation that we had about identity. Um, a lot of marathoners or runners who identify in that way, they build their year around what is my spring marathon going to be and what is my fall marathon going to be. And then there's periods in between, um, ideally for rest, recovery, that sort of thing. I mean, if ultras are are more your jam, maybe you've got a couple that you're focusing on in mm-hmm. a given year. So you have these seasons of of buildup and growth and racing. And then again, ideally followed by a period of just recovery and and rest. And I think, you know, that has a lot of parallels to just, you know, life in general for 
many of us. We go on summer vacations, um, you know, it has parallels in nature. Um, the winter time is generally a period of, of rest, of hibernation, you know, of um, gearing up for the year ahead and, and growth. And I just think there, are, you know, there's a seasonality to running and there's parallels throughout nature and the rest of our lives with that. Yeah. I was thinking, like, before we started this conversation about, um, I, I totally agree. Obviously, I, when I was when I was training for marathons, my whole life revolved around those two cycles of, yeah, spring marathon, autumn marathon. Um, I remember the guy that coached me would always say, right, when 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 I'd finished a, a race, a marathon, he would always say, I want you to take two weeks of off, like no running mm-hmm. at all, like nothing. And then he would say, well, I'll, I'll let you do, you know, four, three or four or five 30 minute jogs in the sort of current, in the following two weeks. Because he was trying to kind of, I think, create a, a period of recovery from 12 weeks. It, it's not just that on the day, right? I mean, it's it's 12 weeks of kind of effort building up. But I was actually thinking about the bigger cycles as well, because I went through that for, I'm going to say nine years of that cycle of two, two a year. And then I ran my my personal best time in London. And Julie, my wife and I had launched two businesses just in quick succession after before I ran my personal best time in London. And I got out of that cycle, that biannual two, two times a year cycle to such an extent that I think I probably had about six years where I didn't race at all. Uh, so in the macro cycle, mm. um, and I think that was a mistake. In fact, I know it was a mistake because um, it's been a struggle to get back to doing anything kind of meaningful. And of course, age is continuing. Like you're getting older than all along. You know, that six years has taken me from being, yeah, 40 until I was 46. And so that's not, that's, that's not a great time to be not doing very much running. Yeah, it was a major um, disruption to your annual cycle, your annual routine. Yeah, now in now in hindsight, I kicked myself because I should have just kept doing something, maybe at a less intense level. But um, you know, I could have dropped it from doing whatever I was doing, 80, 90 mile weeks down to doing 40 mile weeks, but kept doing them. But I actually I, I, yeah, I went into hibernation in a in a serious uh, mm-hmm. in a serious way for rather too long, I think, uh, in hindsight. Yeah. But, um, I think everyone's a, a little different. In that regard, some people need that. Some people are forced into that. Speaking for myself, I have come to embrace the cyclical and seasonal nature of of running. But even within that, for me over the last 25 years that I've been doing it, in particular, really over the last 10 or so, um, it's looked very different every you know, every few years, but there's always, you know, periods of building up for something and then winding down and then periods of, we'll just say homeostasis where I'm not really working toward anything, but I'm, I'm still running. I'm kind of in, you know, hibernation mode, maintenance mode. Uh, I'm, I'm still going, but at a, you know, at a very low level. And eventually I, you know, come out of that again, at least that's the way that I think about it. How do you know, like, do you find yourself in those periods of like, okay, I'm just going to focus on maybe other things in your life? I don't know. 
yeah. but just running takes a bit of a backseat. Exactly. Do you find yourself in those situations or do you create them? Do you like go, okay, I think it's about time I've had a really intense few years, maybe. I'm going to now mindfully kind of take my foot off the gas. Yeah, both. I've definitely had those periods where I've been intentional about taking my foot off the gas because I've needed a period to just step away from it, rethink my approach and what it is exactly that I want to do. And I've had other periods where I wasn't planning for there to be a break, but life circumstances necessitated that and I've had to recalibrate. So I I think both can and often are true for people. Yeah. Yeah. You're, um, we just mentioned this briefly before we got recording as well. We should just record all the stuff we guess about before we start <laughs> recording as well, by the way. Um, we were like college is it, it, it actually, this was a conversation before the conversation, but college in America is such a big thing. And you ran NCAA, right? You ran as, I did. at a really good level collegially. Did you find, cause that's a life transition, right? You finish your, your college mm-hmm. career. You've got your, your, your degree. Life is waiting for you. Did you, was that a period where suddenly the, the micro soul, the sort of, you know, the cycles that you were in training, racing, training, racing, I guess, cross country, track and field. Did that come to a, an abrupt halt? Was there a, did that suddenly create an, a different cycle in your life? It didn't come to an abrupt halt, but it evolved because for the four years that I was in college, there was a very predictable rhythm to the year. We would race cross country in the fall. That would usually end late November. There'd be a short period of break, usually through the holidays. And then we were into the indoor track season. That spilled into the outdoor track season. Then there was a bit of a break. And then summer was training for cross country. And that's how it was for four years. And when I graduated and was no longer part of the team, I didn't have that same schedule to follow because post-collegiately there are different opportunities. I was thinking about moving up to the marathon. There was road racing. I was trying to find a club to be a part of that club had different races that it wanted to prioritize. And it took a little while for that to shake out, no pun intended, and sort of find that new rhythm or what I wanted that rhythm to be for me. And at that point I was in, you know, my early twenties. Yeah. I talked about, you know, I, I got to this point where uh, I basically decided because we'd launched these, these Julian, I'd launched these businesses and not, and running had become pretty all consuming at that point. I mean, there were a few periods in the run up to my P up, my PB, my personal best when I did hit nearly a hundred miles a week, which, so I felt as though I was just running, sleeping, eating or at work uh, pretty much, you know, continually didn't didn't feel as though I ever did anything else so I was quite happy to give myself the kind of to to allow myself to take my foot off the pedal and as Mm. I say I regret I regret the extent to which I did that but um you know when you maybe not just in your post-collegiate career like I don't know what the whether there's other bigger cycles where I don't know whether you maybe got to a point with road racing where you thought actually, I want to try something different. Like, can you see a few of those in your life where you've... Absolutely. Yeah. I I mean, after college, I really didn't want to race on the track anymore. Um, I didn't want to be in that environment. So I explored road racing. It was new and novel for me at the time. I wanted to explore 
longer distances. And then I would do that for long enough where not that I had tapped out my potential, but I was sort of over it. And I was like, well, what else is there that I can do? I think that's one of the beautiful things about running. If you get bored with something or you come up to your limit or you hit a plateau, there are a bunch of other things that you you could explore and potentially do. I had a period from 2014 to 2017 where I was primarily focused on ultras, which isn't something that I had ever had any interest in previously. And I was super curious. And I think for me over the last certainly 10 years or so, curiosity has really driven a lot of it, whereas that wasn't always the case in the in the past. And that curiosity got me to explore ultra running. And then I got to a point where I was like, okay, I think I've had my fill of this ultra stuff for for now. Um, I really miss running fast. And I was older and I was just at a different point of life. And I was curious, you know, what does running fast look like in my mid to late 30s? And mm. I got to a point where I hadn't raced cross country in a long time. And that was always my first love. And I was like, oh, I, there's masters cross country. I could get into racing cross country again. I'm like curious, you know, what, you know, what, what that's like. So I've had that happen many a time. I got back on the track last year for the first time in 16 years. Um, so, you know, going back to when I graduated from college, I was like, I'm over the track. I don't want to do that anymore. What else can I do? Now I get to a point where I'm like, huh, I'm curious what it'd be like to race track almost, you know, 20 years later. Um, that sort of thing. So I, that's happened, yeah, over and over again, you know, in these very non-uniform cycles, because I've definitely, I mean, I've explored it all in terms of, you know, disciplines of of running that I have made a focal point of my life for a period in time. Yeah. It's really interesting because it, it, these these sort of cycles that that seem to kind of bookend one another is really interesting i definitely did that kind of like i'm done with road running because i just can't see myself to be honest with you i was like i don't think i can see myself doing another sort of six months of recovery build up 16 weeks hard effort to knock two minutes off a time that nobody really cares about (laughs) frankly i was was like it seems like a lot of effort for a very very diminishing kind of and but I started doing ultras as well. Yeah. But they bookended one another. And one of the things that I saw recently, and it was a somebody who I follow on on social media was talking about the fact that they are trying or they have been trying to do both. So rather than bookending track and field university career, moving into a road running career where you issue the track and you're like, I'm not doing that anymore. But you're also not doing ultras at that point. You're doing your road running stuff. And then you're like, oh, maybe I'm going to try something else. And you do that. That's how you're describing it to me. And I feel like I I didn't run at university. Uh, I was too busy smoking and drinking and being a, an idiot. But I did do the road running bit. And that lasted, you know, 10 years. And then I stopped. And then I did try the ultra thing. But this guy that that I was listening to on, on a social channels was talking about the fact that he's been trying to do but basically trying to do ultras and marathons at the same time. And I was mm. like, yeah, that's really hard, man. Like, I think if you're not in a cycle of doing something, I don't know how you try and manage both. Like, that seems really tough to me. Well, I think it just depends what you want to get out of it, right? If you're trying to be really competitive or go after your best time or best performance, I do think you 
need to narrow your focus a bit and sharpen those edges, so to speak. But if you're just looking to keep things fun and interesting, I mean, I think that approach can work. I know many a runner, some of which I coach, who dabble in a variety of disciplines because they feel like if they're all in on this one thing, it becomes kind of all consuming or boring and they need to switch up the stimulus. So they've, you know, we've kind of built that in, I think from, you know, sort of from the get go, it's just, you know, sort of part of the plan. But what I'm interested to get your thoughts in maybe for yourself, but just, you know, observationally is just chilling out for a while and taking a break. I mean, you mentioned how, when you're training for a marathon, you'd go into like this, you know, 16, week cycle and you're all in on it. And maybe some of this ties into our previous conversation on identity. You're like, well, I'm a, I'm a marathoner. That's, that's what I do. It's a big, you know, part of my life. Have you found it challenging to, you know, really dial it back where you don't have something on the calendar that you're training for? That's a really interesting question. So, so when I, so immediately following my PR, my PB in London, which was 2013, shit, 10 years ago. Uh, I, I kind of basically decided, right, I've got, we've got these two fledgling businesses. I'm, I'm in this situation where I'm not earning a salary. I don't work for someone else. So, you know, I have, we, we eat what we kill. Like if I'm not working, if I'm not being productive, I'm not pushing these businesses, we're going to struggle to pay the mortgage. And, you know, yeah. so I kind of gave myself permission. I've been doing this for 10 years. I've been trying to, you know, I had these grand targets that, that I might be able to run a p- particular time. Um, I, I, you know, I always thought I might be able to run sub two thirty for a marathon, and I, di- I didn't get there. But I think I wasn't a million miles away, and I was like, okay, I'm going to give myself permission to step back from this. So at the time, giving myself that permission, I found it really easy. I was like, cool. There's no. Um, if I want to run, if I want to go for a run today, I will. I'm not following a program. If I don't feel like it, I won't. It's not, it's no big deal. Eight years after that, eight years after making that decision, I now think that I gave myself too much leeway. <laughs> I gave myself too much slack. And getting back into some sort of regularity has been. A, a real battle and i've not won that battle so i'm really angry with myself if i'm honest what is what does winning that battle look like just, just habit forming i think the yeah. problem that i've got is that I, I i sort of i had a running habit which was a good thing i mean my history is that i had other habits smoking and drinking and basically being a bit of a slob and I replaced them with a running habit. And the running habit was was great. I mean, it's given me everything. It's given me, you know, the work that I do, the friendships that I've got with people like you, the experiences. I mean, it's, it's, it's been amazing. There's no downsides. I think that when I look back at the free, the, the me that, that was in this sort of cycle of training for marathons, recovering, looking forward to the next one, I had a running habit. And so every day was not necessarily constructed around running, but certainly running had a place within every day. Even if it was a rest day, the resting was taken quite seriously as well. Like I knew, right, Monday I'm rest, it's a rest day. So I would plan, almost plan for that as well. 
um, once I sort of got out of the cycle, out of the habit, it suddenly became, I'll go tomorrow, I'll go tomorrow, I'll go tomorrow. Bloody hell, I've been for a run for four days. Yeah. And that's, and I found that super easy to do. And yet what it's, what it's created is a, is a real barrier. It feels like a mountain to climb to get back to a point where running is just something that I do. Maybe not every day, but at least, you know, five days a week. Yeah. Um, that's super interesting. I think there are a lot of people who struggle with something similar. If they don't have a race on the calendar, they wouldn't be motivated to get out the door. It'd be harder to develop those habits. And that's interesting to think about because it sort of ties running to this one specific thing. It's it's a means to an end of achieving this goal, finishing the race, running a PR, whatever it happens to be. And if they don't have that, um, it ceases to have the same kind of meaning or any meaning at all, maybe. Um, maybe I'm interpreting that the wrong way, but that, that was the first thought that came to my head hearing you well, describe that. Def- definitely in my case, that's true. I I think I know people. I'm always slightly, I'm, I'm envious of them to a degree where I'm suspicious <laughs> of them. But I think I know people for whom running is an everyday activity and they don't need something to aim for. They just do it every single day or five times a week or whatever it is. Like it's just, it's part of their routine. They always do it. They're always going out. They always go for a run. It's it's never, they're never off. That's me. Um, I'm that guy. <laughs> I, I mean, okay. yeah. Damn you. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and I think that that's, uh, yeah, so that's interesting because because I think that the perhaps then the peaks and troughs for you are narrower. Like I think that's right. Know, there's a, there's less, less of a gap. Like you're off time. You're probably still running. You know, I don't know thirty week, thirty miles a week sort of thing. My off time in that period in those years after I kind of gave myself permission to get off yeah. the treadmill. Well, yeah. my 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 off weeks were like zero nothing i didn't run at all sometimes for a week which is shocking to yeah. admit <laughs> yeah i i mean i'm i'm the person that you described and i'm not saying that because i think it makes me better than anyone else that's just how i'm i'm wired i'm different i don't know what that means for me um because i still you know i will train and race um throughout the year but i have periods where especially through the summer where i have i have no objective at all i'm just sort of in in maintenance mode but i run every day and it's not even a second thought for me um whether i'm training for something or or not it's just uh, you know it's part of my morning it's it's part of my day and i i think that's i think that's interesting to me because i got my start in the sport as a competitive athlete and running was just a means to an end. I do the workouts to get the result that I, that I want in the race. And I don't know if it's a byproduct of age and or other circumstances in my life, but I feel like I need that in my day. I mean, I, I do take days off. I mean, I was recently traveling, you know, I had a couple of days where I didn't run, you know, I won't force it uh, if it's just not, feasible for a day but most days i'm like well i don't have an excuse i'm not looking for an excuse 
Um, I don't need to motivate, like, I don't need to motivate myself. I'm like, I'm just going to put my shoes on and get out the door. Um, and some days that might mean doing a workout and some days that might mean, you know, I just, I run for 30 minutes. Um, some days I run fast. Some days I, I run slow. I just, I feel like I need to, to get out for something beyond just chasing a goal. So you might not want to to, to answer this because of what you've just talked about, but would you, do you ever think as a coach, you might meet somebody who says, I've never, or for the, I don't know, pick a period of time for the last 20 years, there's never been a period when I haven't been running yeah. at least several times a week. Have you ever as a coach been tempted to say, you know what, maybe you should just not run for four weeks, six weeks, I don't know, whatever, a period of time, whether that's for a sort of physical or, or maybe even their mental recovery. Yeah. It depends on the individual. I mean, so I coach athletes one-on-one and one of the things I pride myself on is getting to know the person and trying to understand, and sometimes this takes a little while, how this running piece fits into the rest of their life. If there's someone who feels compelled to run every day. Why is is that the case? Do they feel compelled to run hard every day? Do they feel compelled to hit a certain amount of time every day? Or can they they still run every day because they want to, but if I tell them, you know, hey, you know, you think maintenance mode is an hour of running every day. I'm going to have you do 30 minutes type of mm. type of thing. Um and some of that's mm. getting buy-in from them and that's a whole coach athlete relationship thing and that's fine. I I know other athletes that I've worked with over the years, they're training for a big race. They've gone all in for 12 or 16 weeks. They, they really just want to take that big chunk of time off afterward. And I feel like for them, if that's, if that's what they need to rejuvenate, I'm going to give that to them. I'm not going to judge that. That's how they respond really well. Sometimes with those athletes, I need to do the opposite and kick them in the butt and be like, Hey, time to get going again. We've got something else that we're, you know, that we're working toward that can be challenging, but it's the same as getting the person who feels compelled to go out every day to maybe dial it back a bit or take a rest day, you know, every, you know, every once in a while. So I, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think for me as a coach, it just depends on the athlete and kind of understanding, okay, well, if they need to get out every day, why is that? And how can we work with it so that it's not destructive? Um, And for the person who doesn't, if they don't have a race on the calendar, they're not going to get out the door. How can we work with that to, you know, make sure they're they're not spending too long on the sidelines and that running is more or can be more than just a means to a competitive event, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sort of this is this is, you know, like there's that classic, you know, asking for a friend. Clearly, I'm not asking for a friend, I'm asking for me. <laughs> but if you you're like when you do have somebody who's I, I wonder whether it yeah it's really fascinating because you're I'm dealing with when I think about um this sort of topic I'm dealing with a subject of one because I'm mm. not a coach so I'm not coaching I'm not trying to advise anyone um you're you've got this sort of amazing database you've got this amazing like you can see a landscape of runners that, that, right. that, that all have these different um different sort of ways of thinking and modes of, of, of approaching it. So in the, in my kind of analysis of one, which is running was not natural. Like I, I started running when I was 30 and it was, uh, it, it, it was, I started running as an antidote to, uh, a, you know, living a 
pretty unhealthy lifestyle. So, you know, I wasn't one of those kids that was at a running club aged 11 and it's just part of my life and I've never not had it. I, I didn't have it for a very, very long time. Um, the falling out of the cycle, the falling, the, the, the sort of the, yeah, the, the, this, this lack of, the lack of running being consistency for me. Um, how, you know, how would you, as a coach, how would you sort of, how do I, how does one refine that, that sort of the habit? I suppose I can't think of a better word for it. The sort of the, it becoming your, quotidian thing your everyday um activity yeah i think it starts with exploring other reasons beyond just training for a race to to get out the door and sometimes i may encourage someone to hack that if there's someone who struggles to get out on their own i may recommend that they actually join a running club or find groups that meet regularly to to get them out the door um and maybe beyond just getting out the door so that they can get back to a place of decent fitness. It's really just to get them around other people and help them socialize that sort of thing. But yeah, it's talking about those habits and just trying to be consistent as much as that word can get bastardized. I think in, you know, in running, I mean, I think that's really what it comes down to. It's like, okay, let's build some consistency, you know, in here. And, you know, if it's, one of those situations where the person just, you know, won't run until they have a race on the calendar and and they get that kick in the butt. It's like, okay, well, how can we re-engineer your, you know, your lifestyle so that even if you're not training, you know, you're getting out, call it every other day for, you know, yeah. 30, 30 minutes, um, you know, and even if it's not working toward a race, like understanding what other benefits it's, giving you, you know, in terms of your physical health, you know, your mental and emotional health, um, you know, sometimes for people that might be the only time they get out of the house, you know, every day, like realizing like it's, you know, it's more than just a means to an end. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. And and funny, you should say that there are occasions, given (laughs) occasions this last few weeks since I twisted my ankle and I have been, I did, I did take the I did the right thing and and went and saw a, and saw a physio. So I'm getting treatment on it. Normally I would do that kind of classic thing. I'm like, oh, no, no, it's fine. It'll be okay. But I'm actually getting treatment on it. But he's saying to me, I just don't want you to run for a few weeks just to kind of give it a chance to recover. You know, to 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 sort of fully recover. And there's been a couple of situations where at like six o'clock, seven o'clock in the afternoon, I've realised that we haven't unlocked the front door. <laughs> we had no reason to go out because obviously yeah. we you know work work from home. Um, and uh yeah that it's funny that running is probably it's not like i don't want anyone to get the impression that i got to the point where i don't run at all i mean i go out it's just it's a lack of consistency yeah um it's funny this conversation has reminded me of a business course that i took and there was a guy called david hyatt and he was talking about this thing called the flywheel effect and it's this idea that takes quite a lot of effort to get a flywheel moving but once you've got it moving, increasing the speed of, yeah. of a flywheel becomes easier and easier and easier. It sort of develops its own, you know, momentum. And uh, I think that in these cycles, the uphill bit, once you've had a fallow yeah. period, the wintering, you mentioned a book, I'd love to, to talk a little bit about that, but that once you've been wintering for a while, it takes a bit of effort to get 
back up to speed. And then once you're up to speed, it feels like all relatively easy, right? Yeah, I think that's the cyclical nature of it. I mean, there's an old axiom in in just coaching in general. I don't think it's specific to running necessarily, but I find that it holds true. It's a lot harder to get back in shape than it is to stay in shape. So I think that's that flywheel effect that you're talking about, like ramping back up and getting that consistency going again and overcoming those initial feelings of just, you know, fatigue, malaise, uh, self-doubt. That's the, that's the challenging part. But once you've been able to string together a consistent routine of, of days, it does over time get easier and then it becomes less effort to, you know, build even more momentum and build, you know, upon that. But it's just like that initial, like getting over that initial hump is, you know, the biggest challenge, I think, for, you know, for a lot of people. So what I, I try to encourage people to is like, okay, like even if there's someone who benefits from taking long periods of time, like not long, but a period of time off after a race, call it a week, you know, after a marathon, nothing wrong with that, you know, mm-hmm. at all. But it's like, let's be very deliberate about that. And then, you know, whether you work with a coach or not, it's like, all right, well then let's, you know, recommit to the process, you know, at a set date and doesn't mean jumping right back in to where you were two or three weeks before the race, but it's just, okay, well, if you're someone who was typically getting out four days a week, let's work on getting just out the door four days a week again. And maybe if your typical workout was, you know, 60 to 75 minutes, you know, initially maybe that's 20 to 30 minutes, but you know, we're, we're getting back on schedule. We're developing these habits again and develop, I think is a a key word there because eventually we'll build upon them. You know, those 30 minute runs will become 40 minute runs, 40 minute runs will become 50 minute runs. Uh, And then before you know it, you're at this point where you're like, okay, I'm like, I'm back into it, you know, and you're in this new, new season. uh, And it's a season of growth um, and building and working towards something. Um, And I think that's, I mean, in my, my experience uh, as, as an athlete myself, but as a coach who works with athletes that tends to be a healthy and sustainable approach. And it looks a little bit different for everyone. Yeah. I love that. I've just written down what you said. Deliberate is, is such a key word. Like, Rather than what I said about the guy that coached me would say, I, I, I want you to do nothing for two weeks. And he was like, and I mean, ideally not even sort of go hiking or anything, just, just, just have two weeks off completely. And then I'll let you do, you know, some, some but when he said, I, I'll let you do some sort of three or four 30 minute runs a week, he wasn't really saying I'll let you, he was saying, I want you to do two or three yeah. or four 30 minute runs a week. It was this very deliberate kind of, Thing. And I, it's interesting because I hadn't thought about it until this conversation, that flywheel effect of you're not stopping the flywheel, you're perhaps slowing it down, but there's still some momentum yes. and, then, and then you can yes. just get it back up to speed relatively. I just remember thinking I would That's run a great a way to hard, think about it. Yeah. Hard, run a hard full marathon, for example. And by Christmas, say it was in October, maybe the whole of November would be pretty much no running for two weeks. And then, and then two weeks of just very gentle, very easy, like felt like nothing at all. But by Christmas, I'd be back to doing 50, 60 miles a week and it would feel like nothing. It's like, oh, that's what I do. You know? Yeah. Um, whereas now I, I wrote myself a training program for Valencia at the end of the year. And I don't know whether my ankle injury is, is sort of screwed that up, but, um, 
but I was looking at it the other day and I can't remember whatever was in for this week was 50 miles or 58 miles or something like that. And I thought that feels like a mountain to climb to get back up to that point. Whereas, yeah, when I was in the cycle, it was, yeah, you get the flywheel back up to speed quickly because it's so deliberate, you know, you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, uh, yeah, it's a very, a very uh, in, interesting sort of interesting concept. Yeah, I like the flywheel analogy because, you know, unless you're unless you're bringing it in for maintenance or something like that, it's it's not going to stop. Like as long as it's going, it's it's going. But sometimes it's just going like really slow and it's maintaining, and then eventually it builds and it builds and it'll sustain at that level for a while, and then it's going to wind down. Um, you know back to my word cyclical you know i think cyclical. these things these things go in yeah. cycles this this guy david it was a video series of, of of kind of you know business coaching stuff and he literally had this big metal wheel on a on a table and he was like you could see how heavy it was to get it to get it started but once he got started he was just every so often in the middle of this presentation that he was doing he would just sort of put his hand behind him and just push it and it would continue to like spin wildly. It was a big, heavy, heavy thing. And it was like, um, doesn't, as you just rightly pointed out, it didn't take a lot of effort to keep it going. You just touch it and it would, it would kind of retain its, retain its momentum. Um, I think, I think we, the other thing we were talking about is, and you've, you've already mentioned it is, you know, you go through these bigger cycles of, you know, tracking. I'm really fascinated by your return to shorter, faster stuff. Like what prompted that? Because I don't think anyone would have thought it would be weird if you never tried to race. You've been racing a mile on the track, haven't you? I did. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not something most uh, amateur 40 plus year old (laughs) athletes do, but there are opportunities there. And, And as I said earlier, for me, it just came down to curiosity i enjoy running fast i'd been away from it for long enough and there are a couple elements of that one because i've been away from it for so long and i'm i'm in my 40s and i don't know if it was the act of actually turning 40 where i was finally able especially track it's so black and white times matter you know exactly what you ran for one mile on a you know, 400 meter track, whatever it is. Um, I don't know what it was about turning 40, but I was able to like almost forget about my old PRs and be like, well, it's not about chasing those anymore or trying to improve my, my personal best. I think a lot of us as runners, whether you're a miler or marathoner, uh, we'll just say, you know, non-trail ultra runner, but something that has a, a time to it that means something like we have this mindset of, well, if we're going to be doing this, we're going to be on a path of ascent or we're going to keep getting, getting faster. And I think for me turning 40, I was able to just come to peace with the fact that I'm not trying to beat 20 year old Mario. Um, not like it's, it's just not, it's, it's not possible. And I'm, I'm not interested in it, but I'm curious, like, what can I do? You know, as mm. a 40 year old who hasn't raced on the track in 17 years, I, I honestly had no idea. So I started training to, you know, to find out. And um, I was able to come back to this this thing, this event that I 
you know, had a lot of experience with, but had been away from for a while with just a completely fresh set of eyes and a, you know, a new perspective. And that was, that was exciting, even though it was, you know, it's like, what is old is new again. It was a novel experience for me. Uh, and it's still like, I'm still curious and I'm still excited. So I'm going to keep doing it until I'm not, um, that yeah, type of yeah. thing. Uh, and, and maybe I'm in the minority on that. I mean, I know plenty of marathoners my age who are over the marathon and they, they, you know, maybe it's, they're starting to see times go in the other direction. They have a hard time dealing with that. So they, they're like, let me go to ultras and try this new thing where I don't have a yeah. history to it, yeah. uh, or, you know, or it's fresh. And I feel like many of us, especially as we age, do that in our own way. I just decided rather than go the typical route, which is like, go from half marathons and marathons and go longer and explore that. I've done that. Uh, for me, I'm like, I, one, I don't want to train that much at this point of my life. And two, <laughs> I I genuinely am curious, like what'll happen if I go in the other direction after focusing on all these longer distances for you know for for so many years, and that's really what's driven it for me. Do you think it, do you think it's also aligned with that a bit of like uh, helpful amnesia? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that's what I was okay, trying to describe. Of, that's a good phrase for it: helpful amnesia. Like I've I've it, forgotten, you know, I've forgotten what I did twenty years ago. Bad, I'm not. I'm not bad. trying. Yeah, and how bad? Bad, bad? Maybe how bad it hurts. But I remember that first <laughs> that first mile race back that I I ran. I mean, you don't feel like that after a half marathon or a marathon. It's a very different feeling, and it hurt like hell. But I was like. Oh, I missed this. Like I really, oh, really? I really I missed that. this feeling. I mean, and I'm, I think I'm probably more of a, you know, miler to cross country runner than I am like a marathoner or ultra runner. Um, but yeah, to your helpful amnesia point, it'd been so long since I'd experienced that it was, it was familiar, but it was also novel again. I, did, and, I do remember seeing some photos. I don't know whether it was your wife who, who took them and posted them some photos of you and you looked in a lot of pain. And I yeah. thought, oh, I wonder whether he's sort of halfway into this mile, just thinking, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> I'd forgotten how bad this is. On some level, yes. On the other, you know, I leaned into it and I was like, well, let me, let me see if I, even if I'm not running as fast as I was, a lot of the feelings and sensations are the same. And, and I think for me, like there's a lot of comfort in that um, and helps, especially as an aging athlete, we're going to slow down. Like that's going to happen. I mean, master's athletes are doing some amazing things now. I think between, you know, what we've learned about training theory, um, improvements in footwear and equipment, and certainly nutrition, I do think athletes, I mean, not, not even, I think they, they are running faster into, you know, their, their later years. And that's, that's exciting. And those things are aiding that at some point, like, you know, we're, we're going to slow down, um, you know, but you can still do these things and go, you know, as hard and be as focused and like, you know, kind of right. And feel, and it feels the same way. And I've kind of certainly with the track stuff in some ways detached myself from the times and chasing that and really chasing a feeling more than anything else. Um, you know, and, and that's, yeah, that's, that's been exciting for me. Brilliant. What's the uh, what's the next cycles like? What's the what's the next? Like, I mean, maybe maybe let's just for fun just project like quite a way into the future. Like, what's the for me? What are the yeah for you? I mean, I, I know what I know what I'm trying to do. Yeah, well, Idiot. let's let's get to that here in a minute. 
for me, but let me let me flip it to you first because I've been talking a lot. What is that for you? Well, I just think that I um I got out of this with I've got out of the habit and and I've run. I mean, I've done ultra marathons since kind of quitting my marathon career, uh, which is a which is a grandiose way of saying, you know, just sort of took my foot off the pedal as far as but road racing's it's all about that for me. I just love it. I love the sensation of running on the roads. Yeah. I didn't have a, I didn't have a track career, so I don't know what I was missing. Um, so I don't, it's not something I have any nostalgia for. Um, do you have any interest in it though? Cause you could still do it. There's opportunity. Yeah. And if the answer's no, that's fine too. But I mean, you know, it's, it, it is a possibility. Well, I think the problem is possibly if I'd, if I'd, uh, not, take them off, off the pedal to such an extent, but I, I'm still obsessed. I'm still like, I haven't scratched that itch. And I'm, oh, I hesitate to say this, 18 months away from turning 50. Um, and I'm like, that feels like an opportunity to to kind of, so my whole aim was that I was going to get the flywheel moving. That was mm-hmm. the idea. I was going to spend the next couple of years trying to get this flywheel moving, to rebuild the habit, to get back into a thing where, um, you know, you know, and maybe this is a slightly kind of an age thing as well. Like I'm now able to think in five year, seven year cycles rather than, you know, I guess when I was younger, everything was all very compressed in terms of time. Oh, that's um, interesting. That's interesting. I'm exactly the opposite. <laughs> are you? Oh, when I was young, well, when I was younger, I would think in four year cycles. And now okay. I'm thinking in like six and 12 month increments. Oh, and and okay. I'll, I'll answer my, my part of your uh, question here in a little bit, but keep going. Well, so I'm. Uh, that's really interesting. Uh, fantastic, I love that. Um, so I'm kind of like thinking I want to get this, uh, and I was, and I'm frustrated, and that's why I'm really frustrated about this ankle injury that has proven to be a bit worse than I. I was in proper denial three weeks ago when I did it. I was like, no, 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 it'd be fine. Um, but it was because I was already starting to feel like there was a bit of forward momentum, and I did exactly what you and I talked about whatever months ago which is i booked a race i was going to go to valencia on the 6th of december i am going to valencia on the 6th of december because i knew that if i had something in the diary i would be motivated to just as we've discussed you know just think oh go out for 30 minutes it doesn't have to be a big you know huge thing it doesn't have to be a minimum of 10 miles to make it worthwhile you can just go out for 30 minutes right um so i was i was in that uh i was i was feeling quite good about the fact that i was i was doing that and then this ankle thing's kind of slightly derailed but it's funny the physical flywheel actually might have stalled but the mental side of it the no i'm now a runner again so i'm just going to go running more regularly actually still remains i'm frustrated that i'm i'm not like in any way relieved by the fact that i've hurt my ankle and that gives me an excuse to stop running yeah, but that will heal eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's better. And and when it does, I think it's important that you have that mental piece in place because yeah. I, I think in my experience and observations, that's the hardest piece of the puzzle to to solve is just mentally committing yourself to being a runner again, getting out the door frequently, whether or not you have a race on the schedule. It sounds to me, as soon as you get the green light and you're able to start running it's not going to be a matter 
of pushing yourself to get out the door, it sounds to me like you're going to do that with some excitement and gratitude, especially since you've been laid up for a few weeks at this point. Yeah, exactly. But it's interesting how the, how this, I feel I'm, I'm sort of looking forward to trying to get the flywheel moving and getting back into a cycle. Cause actually I can already see stretching out ahead of me, all the things I never did when I was trying to race for a time, right? Because I would be like, ah, well, I'm not going to go to Chicago or Boston because it's too easy to do London because I live in London. It's basically free. Uh, you know, I've got my championship time. So you get this really preferential position in the, you know, in the starting pens. Um, it was kind of, I suppose, well, I was going to say I was lazy. I wasn't lazy. I was just super focused on time yeah. and not experiences. Whereas, yeah, so I've never done, there's so many, there's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of races. I mean, um, horrible, horrible, uh, horrible pitch coming out but we're about to launch a japanese version of like the wind um i think that gives me the the means and the opportunity to go and race tokyo you should have a we'll have a you know we've got a we've got a a magazine out there or we will have um so i'm i want to get them the flywheel moving because i used to be one of those people that if i'd wanted to I could have jumped into a half marathon at a week's notice. Like I was always fit enough to just right. be like, it's fine, I'll just do one. Um, I think I want to get back to that, actually. Just just being... I love it. Just always having something ticking over. Yeah, anyway, I love it. And, and I your feel like... Your cycles. I'll, I think, get there, I think, I'll get there in a second. The last thing I'll say to that, um, oh yeah. I think this is an important point that... Uh, you brought up without saying it directly. I think there's two flywheels. There is that mental flywheel and that physical flywheel. And and in your case, you know, the the mental one is there. It's humming at a pretty good level. Your challenge right now is because of your injury is just getting that physical flywheel back up to speed to, you know, where it matches that. Um, And I think like in those initial stages, you know, where like mentally you're revved up and you're excited and ready to go physically, you're going to have to ease back into things. It's going to be like, you know, balancing that. So that you don't mentally end up going kaput uh, and then physically are, are feeling a bit better. But though, I think, you know, those two will eventually get back up to to speed for you. And that's, you know, that's when it's fun. That's when it's exciting. You know, that's when it's fulfilling. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. So your, so your cycle, your, your, your future cycles involve you going shorter and shorter and shorter. And I see you doing the 400 meter hurdles. <laughs> <laughs> there will be no, I can pro I, one thing I can promise you, there will be no hurdles involved. I mean, maybe oh. if there's a log to jump over during a cross country race, <laughs> that is about it. I will not raise any type of hurdles on the track. Hundred tens, four hundred hurdles, steeplechase. That's not that's not happening. I I that is one area I've I've zero interest in. I've done it. Okay. <laughs> uh, and certainly as of this conversation, I have no interest in in exploring those. Mostly because uh, of the athleticism in involved in them i'm like fairly you know athletic but the risk is also super high and for me <laughs> yes. at this at this point in my my life one risk i am not willing to take is to knowingly put myself in a situation where there is a high likelihood that i will, i will get injured and be forced to take an amount of time off um which i know is you know, in the case of that, it's avoidable. I just don't do it. Um, yeah, you know, whereas no, no. I can take more calculated risks in, in other areas, but yeah, there's, there will be no hurling career for me. It's interesting. I talked to, um, Nick Willis a, a few times over the, 
the last year, once for my podcast and a couple times offline. I, I believe you talked about this on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Nick ran sub four minutes for the mile for 20 years in a row. I think he's the only person yeah, 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 to, yeah, ever, to, to ever do that. And I don't think he's quite 40 yet, but he's he's close. And he did not continue his sub four minute mile streak. And he said he's been running a little bit, but he has interest in uh, eventually doing some racing again. And it's not to be a world-class miler, but he wants to, he's like, I want to race the 200 and the 400 and sprint, uh, which I thought I was like, that's awesome. Uh, and, for it, man. and maybe eventually for, for me, um, you know, I just told you how I don't like to forecast too far out. Um, but you know, in the next six months, I, have a good idea of, of what I would like to do. As of this conversation, I'm in the middle of a fall cross-country season here in the U.S., and that will culminate on December 9th at the club cross-country national championships. And then, you know, I, you know, back to the flywheel thing, then I'll slow things down, you know, for the next okay. few weeks, you know, certainly yeah. through through the end of the year. I, I will still run just because I am not someone who likes to take long periods of time off. I'll take a couple days here and there certainly around the holidays, but I'll run more days than, than not. I won't do any workouts and I'll keep the the volume pretty low. So I'll slow things down a bit. And then, you know, right around the turn of, of the calendar, I'll start thinking about the track, um, you know, and I'm hoping to do an indoor race or two. There aren't a lot of opportunities here in California, but I'm, I'm willing to travel. I just, I love racing indoors, um, but I'm planning to do a proper outdoor track season where I, you know, wow. really start, really start racing off to do some, you know, some open meets, some master's miles, that sort of thing, but try to carry that through June. Um, so that's, you know, kind of the first six months of, of next year. And beyond that, I, I don't really know. I don't at this point have any interest in signing up for a longer race, like a half marathon, marathon, or ultra. I do have some interest in doing some non-competitive longer runs, just exploratory type of runs. And maybe next fall will be the time for that. So maybe after I, you know, do this short track season where I'll, I'll race primarily, uh, 1500 meters and, and one mile and, you know, occasionally bump up to 5k or drop down to, you know, 800. Maybe I'll do that the second half of next year. You know, maybe I'll follow Nick Willis's footsteps years from now and, the mile becomes too long and I'll, you know, I'll be 60 or 70 years old racing, you know, 200 meters or 400, or 400 meters. meter hurdles. We've talked about this. Not, no hurdles. Yeah. <laughs> not as I get old, not as I get older, uh, too oh, risky at this point, but yeah, I mean, but that's, that's part of it. I mean, in some of it, I, I like not having too firm of a, a plan because I don't like the truth is I, you know, I don't really know beyond like six months from now, a year, like what I'm going to be excited about or what I'm going to be curious about. And, you know, I really want that to be the driver for me is, is curiosity. So I keep coming back to that. It's like, what am I curious about? What am I excited about? Um, and that's what I'm going to use as my barometer to, to, to decide what I want to pursue. Love it. I love it. I think that's a good point to, to wrap it. Cause I think that you've, uh, I need some sort of force of will to get the flywheel moving and then i can move into curiosity to keep it going i think yeah. that's a, a brilliant that's my plan that's my next five years i love it out. i think <laughs> i think that's a great plan i want to support you in that effort however yeah. i can but i've loved this conversation this is our fourth one for the year an excerpt of it will be in like the wind number 39 38 
38. 38. Uh, so next episode of this will be in Like the Wind, number 38. If you're not a subscriber to that magazine, I would recommend doing so or pick up a back issue or two. Um, but I've enjoyed these quarterly conversations with you throughout the year, Simon. They've been super fun. I hope we continue to keep them going this flywheel this flywheel <laughs> is definitely moving this, i'm <laughs> loving this this is literally like every time we send a magazine to to the printers i'm like great i've got to think about a topic for my next conversation with mario that's, oh, that's great i i share that same i share that same excitement but flywheel's right you know we ramp up to these conversations um you know we're humming pretty high and then we you know we wind it down for a little while we kind of go into maintenance yeah. mode we ideate it keeps going uh and then we accelerate again so yeah, um exactly. i think that's a great analogy and a place to end this simon thank you as always Thanks, uh, for the conversation brilliant All right, that's it for this one. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen in. If you could, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you're tuning into this from. It means a lot to me, and it helps new listeners to discover the show. Also, a big thank you to my annual partners, Tracksmith, New Balance, Precision Fuel and Hydration, and Gooder for making it possible. Check out themorningshakeout.com slash partners to take advantage of some of the discount codes and special offers that are available exclusively to readers and listeners of The Morning Shakeout. Before we go, I'd like to give a couple more quick shout-outs. The first to John Summerford, who has edited and produced every episode of the podcast since we launched it in late 2017. He's the reason this show sounds as good as it does week in and week out. The second goes to Chris Douglas, who is my right-hand man and helps manage partner relationships. And last but not least, Nicole Bush, who gives me a hand with social media content strategy and creation and is my co-host for Training Talk Thursday, which you can tune into on Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Morning Shakeout's Instagram account, which you can find at The AM Shakeout. And that's all I've got. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. <laughs>